What's up, everyone? Welcome to another special episode of Kiddush Club News for Jews. So we're coming straight off of Pesach. There's so much to discuss about this past Pesach and trips and just different things. We're going to get to that in this week's episode. Don't miss it. It comes out on Wednesday. And this week, our guest is Rabbi David Beshevkin. Doesn't always love to be called rabbi, but he is a noted author, lecturer. Uh, he writes articles uh, for prestigious magazines. And he's a, he's a tremendous person, an interesting person. I wanted to pick his brain more and more, but just time didn't allow. So he's a really popular modern orthodox rabbi. He's very active on Twitter. He has, I think, one of the largest Jewish podcasts and he's been doing it for a while. It's the 1840 podcast. And it's, you know, one of the biggest out there. And like I said, he's been doing it for a while. Like, in a sense, he's one of the people who was trailblazing in this podcast, Jewish podcast space that we are in ourselves. And the 1840 podcast is an intellectual podcast. Like, it's not for everybody. It's certainly not for the faint of heart. And it's definitely not casual listening. Right. Now, we started this episode, it got, like, really heavy really quick. <laughs> I know. That was my fault. But we do end, you know, we do lighten up, you know, towards the middle end of the episode. But I wanted to pick his brain, like, so much more. Like, we touched on such important topics, and I want to hear what he has to say on all these subjects. Yeah, he, he's an extremely busy person. He was gracious enough to give us time, and we went over time with him, and we knew that we were running out of time. But, you know, we just, we did our best with the time that we had, but he did promise that he would come back. I think when we have him back, we need to pick a topic and just delve. Yeah, not a bad idea. Hope you enjoy it, and uh, here it is. We have with us noted author, lecturer, intellectual, Rabbi David Beshevkin. Welcome to Kiddush Club. It is an absolute joy uh, to be here today, truly. Could we call you the Twitter rabbi? I mean, is that moniker legitimate? I am a rabbi on Twitter. I don't, li- <laughs> I don't like being referred to as a rabbi. Really? But, uh, no, I don't like Interesting. it. Interesting. Why? I find rabbi to be so depersonalizing. I find it diminishing. It diminishes you just to a job title, and it feels very othered away from like the people. I like being with Amcha, with the people, with the people. If I wanted to be called rabbi, I would have become a pulpit rabbi. I did not choose to become a pulpit rabbi because I want to be with the people. I want to be able to wear joggers on a Sunday and not have people <laughs> that's the look real at me like, what, what is going on? Like, <laughs> oh, so that's why you're in joggers right now. We didn't <laughs> no, 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 no. He's I'm not. actually just quite He's formally. <laughs> He's in a suit. <laughs> don't, throw him, don't throw me under the bus. But with, sorry, yeah. sorry. You've got to get used to it because the... I'm ready. I'm you know, ready. I'm ready. Gonna... <laughs> I'm, I'm fully locked and loaded. So I, I actually, it's funny because one of the first things I wanted to ask, I mean, I've heard a lot of your interviews where others interviewed you, especially I heard Meaningful People uh, interview. But one thing I don't know is, so why are you doing what you're doing? Like, how did you get, like, was it a day or was it a, a, a feeling that you said, you know what, this is what I want to do for Claudius Earl? Like, what was the, how did it happen? How did that I, evolution happen? I think we got to narrow it down to, to just a step back. We take a step back. How would you describe your position? Good. I'm an educator. Okay. I'm an educator. I educate in classrooms. I educate in print. I educate on podcasts. I am an, I am an educator at my core. I believe in education. I love education. Uh, what was it that led up to that career choice to say, I want to go out and I want to educate people? I think I, 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 whenever anybody asks me this, the real answer is it starts with my, with my parents, un, undoubtedly. 
uh, educators doesn't mean classroom educators, but my my parents were neither of them were classroom educators, but they were both educators. My father's a hematologist, oncologist, but the way that he treated his patients, the way that he transmitted ideas, their future, the their you know just w- what's ahead, what's going to happen. He was the educator in chief of a of an oncology practice. My mother. Uh, is a writer. My mother's very expressive. My mother's a communicator, but she was an educator. As a parent, she was an educator. And I think that, I don't know. But w- So, like, what drives you? That was really my question. What Internally, because you're clearly driven. That much we, we see very clearly. You're a driven person. You're, you're passionate. You're passionate about education. You're passionate about the, the things that you learn and the things that you teach. What is it that's driving you? When you say, I want to educate people, why? What is it that's pushing you? I think it was my own. This is starting off so much heavier than I expected. <laughs> not at all. Like, Only because you This mentioned- conversation does not relate to the couch or the upholstery. I'm sitting on an orange couch talking about existential abyss of life. But that, that really is the answer. I think what drives me is what drives anybody. It's what they felt maybe was missing or what they felt – uh, was lacking or what they were in search of in their own life, and they're trying to create a path for others to walk upon. And I think that for a host of reasons, finding purposefulness, finding meaningfulness, finding nourishment, uh, spiritual nourishment, intellectual nourishment, substantive nourishment uh, from my life um, was something that always I always grappled with from like a very young age. Not I came from a deeply meaningful home, but we were searchers, and uh, I I realized you know midway through that I had some knack for speaking, I had some knack for writing, and things built upon itself. And even as they were building, just to be clear, I, I was looking for exits the whole way through, like like <laughs> anybody else. Like my I think my search for finding my path is what brought me my path. So you went to Neri Sorrell? Yes. And then from Neri Sorrell, you kind of... I went to YU. Right. Yeah. Tell not, n- not a big deal switch, knowing that... I-, I come from a different world of orthodoxy that used to be much more predominant, and now is like... I don't know. I feel like people's brains got smaller. I'm starting to see them expand. I grew up in the five towns before it was the five towns. I didn't know that I grew up in a wealthy or Hushiv community. It wasn't that wealthy. It wasn't that Hushiv when I was growing up there. But I grew up in, in the five towns. Um, and I don't know. We had black hats, not black hats. We had Halb kids. We had South Shore kids. I grew up in like a Balabatish normal orthodox home I, I had one grandfather who was a rabbi like a real who was the Talmud, the first graduating class of Chavetz Chaim and I had my Zaidi who only became Shomer Shabbos after he retired it's good you know uh-huh. it's a good time he worked on Shabbos his entire life and like that was normal my first cousins are not orthodox they're not observant they live in Bennington Vermont like there was a diversity that I experienced from a very young age and why you and Neri Yisrael was not like, oh my god, like, <laughs> what is he doing? Yeah, right. it, it's a similar question, and I remember the meaningful people asked me this, and, and I don't think they even did that ironically. It was like five towns to Tinek, like, yes, that's how is that was it even possible? <laughs> did you need a passport to get there? I'm like, I, I, you know, I love them, I love every yeah, yeah, Jew, yeah. but like, we've become a little small. It reminds me, my professor. When I was in YU, was somebody named Dr. Yaakov Elman. He was a Talmud of Rav Hutner. He was a really special person. And in his first article, he was a big academic. 
And in his first article he ever published in an academic journal, he was talking about the, his breath of how so he wrote an article about Reb Tzadok, who you know had big influence. He was talking about how much influence Reb Tzadok has. The verse is like Reb Tzadok influenced so many diverse schools of thought, from Rev Dessler all the way to Rev Gedalia Shore. And somebody marked up the paper. He's like, you know, for most of the world, that's the exact same universe. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Yes. So, like, Nuri why you, like, I guess, like, when we're, like, splitting here, I know the differences. There are real differences. But, like, it wasn't a big deal switch for me. I, there was a lot of YU that I knew of when I was in Nuri Yisrael. There's a lot of Nuri Yisrael that I kept when I was in YU. Yeah, and Nuri Yisrael was always known as a, a, as a yeshiva where it's possible. Not possible. It's, it's in the realm of possibilities to go to Johns Hopkins. Yeah, all my Nary Israel friends are dentists, doctors, and lawyers, and all my YU friends are rabbis, rabbis. and educators. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's a different thing, but it wasn't a big switch for me. It wasn't an existential, like, it was, but not because of the institutional differences. I'm just like, I hate transitions, right? because I'm a person and I'm filled with anxiety yeah. at all times. Because you're Jewish. Yeah. So it was... It, I mean, because it does feel today like there's much more polarization. That's really where we're going with this. I think it's starting to break down the polarization. Do I, you? Yeah, I oh, do. That's good. I think, I think the internet, I think the beauty of Twitter has broken down the polarization. I think when I open up Twitter and I see uh, Hasidim and academics and, you know, half-burnt-out yeshiva guys and, and <laughs> hey, woke Hevra, and they're, they're all right talking in dialogue more or less with each other. It's a, it's a really beautiful thing. I think we become polarized when we're trying to um, avoid that, the reality that we live in. I think everybody really across the spectrum, at least in the United States, is living in the same reality with the same set of facts and trying to navigate their way. And I, I think it's in many ways it's getting less polarized. I always I, I thought think. that there was a stark contrast between Jews in America and Jews in Israel. In Israel, it's it's very segregated. It's very low tolerance level for different factions. I think that's breaking too. I think it's breaking in Israel too. I have. I mean, you see what's yeah. going on right now. The Supreme Court. This whole the BB BB's back, and the the ultra religious, and the rest of the world is is coming I think from down. America, on them. it feels very polarized. But again, I have a sister, who's Israeli Haredi. I have I have nephews who are in the Israeli Haredi system. It's 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 not so. I don't know. I don't find it to be so. I think they're they're grappling with a new reality of of what it means to grow up and have a. We, we, there's a lot of talk about growing up in a generation where we're not going to have Holocaust survivors anymore. I think there's another anxiety that nobody talks about, which is growing up in a generation where everybody grew up with the state of Israel. It's almost like taking like oh like we have a Jewish state. Like, okay, this is the reality. And no one's, like, still grappling. Like, this is still really new. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. Like, Pop-Tarts are probably older than the state of Israel. It's it's less than 100 years old. And, like, we're grappling. We're working out fundamental issues still. I'm very – I think there's a confidence in Israel and people's Jewish identity that I find quite quite moving uh, across the spectrum. And I think people are getting less polarized because of Yishai Rebo, the music. There are people who are bringing people together, and so many more people are involved in politics in Israel. Yes. So they're Do you all around the all? same table. You follow the politics at all no, of Israel? No. Nothing. Zero. My relation really? to Israel is so instinctive and religious. 
I'm not that I'm not like my dad is more like that. I'm not like like snipping out clippings from the Jerusalem Post <laughs> and like forward, forward, forward. Like, did you know Israel came up with a chip in your cell phone? Like, I don't care for that stuff. Arch- I, 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 I try to avoid calling it Israel. I, I call it Eretz Israel. It's it's really? where it's where I daven to, and I don't ever want my davening, my spiritual life, to be diminished to a political party or political existence. I think political politics is really important. But in my heart, I need to have room and space and and a relationship that transcends political reality. Do you see yourself ever making alios or anything like that? Alios, um, <laughs> multiple. Um, yeah, I I, I could yeah. see it. I don't think my I think my wife is more uh, hesitant. Blaming the wife. No, I think. My, but I the moment I bought a home in New Jersey is the moment I'm like I gotta I I um, I feel a uh, a real pull to. To Israel, I'm 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 like a crypto um, like like hardcore Zionist who doesn't participate at, at all, all, right? With you any know Zionist stuff. About Zionism. I don't. I've never. I don't really march in the parade. I did it maybe you know in high school. I don't do blue and white cookies, but like I think constantly about how Israel has reshaped um, the Jewish world. So so you consider yourself primarily like an American for the most part, but in other words, nationally. But your religious element to you, your heart, is in Israel. And you see yourself really being an American living here, but ideally you would love to be living in Israel. It's like a very young Israel way of putting it, which I don't <laughs> identify with at all. Like, I would love to make Aliyah. Like, but my wife won't let <laughs> no, me. No, <laughs> I, I, I think you're under, like... Oversimplifying. No, you're, not even oversimplifying. I think you're just like misunderstanding how, like the conceptually how I approach these things. Like in my insides, I'm like I think in terms of like Gullus, Gaula, like live it, like they're they're mixed together. I think we're in that universe where they're kind of mixed. I think in in theological terms, I'm like an undercover mystic, and when I'm thinking about decisions <laughs> in my own life. I'm not thinking about like I'd love to make Aliyah to Beit Shemesh. Like I'm not thinking about that at all. Like the Nefesh Ben Nef. I'm not like going to the website and see like there's a part of me that's deeply connected to. You feel that pull constantly. I feel like it's the yeah, rest of us. Gullus like, and Gaula. That's right. what that's what I am intentional. Wow. With, so you actually think of Gullus when you're here? You're actually thinking of Gullus. We're in Gullus. Yes. Really? Yes. I think I think that I'm in Gullus when I'm in Israel. I think most right. people that and I think that I'm in and redeemed when I'm here also. And I think that, that I think the tensions that I am grappling with internally are the are the largest tensions of the universe, which is redemption and exile. And I think that we're in a period in our lives where they're kind of like at play together. I didn't think we were going to be talking about this, but yes, that is. Uh, you never know which way the cast is going to go. You never know, right? I just also think that most people that yearn for Mashiach have that mindset in there somewhere. If you're waiting for something, if you're wait, you're waiting for a redemption. Right, you're waiting for that that final time, and that's the mindset of all of of Kal Yisrael, I think. But it sounds like you're talking also about personal geula and personal galus, and how it affects each person, Kal Yisrael, and each person individually from an existential level. Yes, that's that's yes, that's what I'm getting. And, and the notion of of waiting itself, like the period of waiting, like what, like of anticipation, I. 
I mean, I, I think a lot about the final words of Shimona Esther, after the Hiratzon, we should rebuild the base of Migdash and find our Chalik in Torah. What do those two have to do with each other? You can find your Chalik in Torah now, but I think there is this notion of having some alignment, some personal redemptive experience that the ultimate redemption brings that we're always in tension with. And that's kind of like my own search for meaning is very much wrapped up in that, like... All of these, the, your initial question about why did you get into the things that you're doing, and questions about Aliyah are in the same category for me. So what? So what is your relationship to like the Mashiach in general? Like, um, how, how does that? What role is Mashiach playing? And I'll tell you where this is coming from. People are looking around the world. People are very nervous. A lot of anxiety right now. They're talking about World War Three constantly, and everybody's looking at the world like, is there about to be a World War Three? And like, what does that mean for us as Jews? I think the notion of Mashiach, the notion of redemption, is is everything. Um, but I think I don't. I'm not a. I'm not a guesser. I'm not a looker at world events and thinking like, oh, I think Mashiach's coming now. I think that we know so little, and there's so much variety of opinion of what Mashiach can and cannot be. Um, I'm like afraid to even say that. Like, say it. no, I'm say legitimately it, it. like I study like false messianic movements, um, different messianic uh, awakenings. Shabtai Tzvi. Uh, Shabtai Tzvi, but, you know, Frankism, all, like, I, I want, like, I don't know, like, maybe, I'm, I'm, you're, you're, I'm trying to be very careful and measured with my words. Um, I don't know that we're going to know. I think that a lot of the way that we think about Mashiach is our childlike fascination with the notion is being superimposed on adulthood. Um, I'm not sure. I, I don't think that's how it's going to play out. I don't know that we're even going to know necessarily that there's like a moment of Mashiach's arrival. Uh, I don't. I, I, I think we know much less than we think about Mashiach, and we usually think about it in very simplistic and childlike uh, terminology. I think that Mashiach, the biggest difference is the period of, are you in a period of anticipation versus a period of stasis? And I think that that Yismamea, that anticipation, that Tzipisa, that, that waiting, those are Hebrew words, um, is the overall characteristic of that we're not yet in a messianic age. We are waiting for something. Uh, but what that messianic age, how it unfolds, there's a whole lot of mystery around that. Has it already begun to unfold? This is my biggest fear, by the way. My biggest fear is Mashiach comes and like you're not satisfied with... like. With or what you goes didn't, on. Or, I mean, I'll or you didn't prepare you. enough. Or you or... didn't notice. What could that even be? Aloya Dea. I'm not a, I'm not, I am mystically inclined. I'm not a mystic. Is it possible that Mashiach came and we didn't even notice? I don't know. I think, you know, there's a question I think about. If the state of Israel got destroyed, God forbid, chas v'shalom, chalil v'chas, do you think that day would become a Tishabov? How do you think a generation from 100 years from now would even remember it? Interesting. Would it be like, I mean, like, now Yom HaSemot's like a quasi, it's like not such a big deal in America, even in Zionistic communities. It's not, it's, it's not what, it, it didn't take off the way that it, that it should. You know, like, a thousand years ago, if Jews heard we got a, a Jewish state, I, I think they'd be like, what, like, they would, like, yes, it must be unbelievable. Sure. If you yeah, speak to some you, of the older generation. But the fact, my question is, if it, God forbid got destroyed, what, what would that day look like? What would that feel like? What would we think about as a community? Well, it's um, interesting. You had on, as a guest, I forget who it was, who was explaining that, uh, the destruction of the second base of Mikdash that wasn't like a, 
like it was a day and then the next day it's like oh the base is destroyed it was over three years and we we, we commemorate Tisha B'Av Professor Malkasinkovich yeah right and, but in actuality it was a much it was a process period. exile was a process, was a right. process and right. I am suspicious that redemption uh, may also unfold in a similar way there's a there's I think it's a medrash or a kima kima little, 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 little by little but, but may, can you can but, you say that it, ha- that it came if you don't have a bias shlishi if there's no base amikdash, can so you even say in the process? But you're saying it could have come and we didn't notice. I'm saying I don't want to make any theological declarations on the Kiddush Cup podcast. <laughs> this is where I want to break the news of my uh, eschatological philosophy. As 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 much esteem as I hold this podcast, <laughs> what I am saying is that I think our notions of Messiah and how powerful of an idea that is, and to I don't think we understand. It's almost obnoxious for our generation to say like we're we're mamish waiting. We're not mamish waiting. Um, Rav Yonson Eibshitz writes in the Yaris Dvash: If earlier generations knew how long the exile would have taken, they would have taken their own lives. Really, wow. he writes wow. that. They well, they, were, they had a, a completely different experience and existence like than us. Th- like what this waiting has been um, and ha- the magnitude of what the Jewish people were staring at with the destruction of the second base. I mean, this really with the destruction of the first base on Megdash. Um, I think we still think about in super babyish terms, super babyish, babyish, not like I'm not even using the word simplistic. It's 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 babyish. And, 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 and that's OK. I don't have a problem with it. I think there's something very sweet and holy and real about the babyish terminology that we use. For most of our religious lives, it's just hard, I think, for us to see it objectively. We were, it's so subjective to us that we're just continuing to go and exist and do what we've always been doing, and we don't have this objectivity of being able to look from the outside and yeah. say, Wow, like these people are, are, are have gone through so much. It, it might be absolute gibberish for most people to read because it's like academic mysticism in English, but the book by Elliot Wolfson called Open Secret, which is about the messianism of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, um, knocked me out. It's so intense and so powerful. I, I don't think Chabad like gives it like their official stamp of approval, but that will th- that book keeps me up at night. Really? Yeah, it keeps me up at night. It's it's so wild and so jarring. Well, now I want the cliff notes. <laughs> no, I, I will not give the cliff notes. You can go out. It's written like in a different language. It's like um, English, really sophisticated, made up Kabbalah words in English. But it is a it is a it knocked me out. How powerful that book is. When it comes to Mashiach, my kids always ask me the same question: Like, does Mashiach know that he's? Mashiach now, like because he has to be alive, right? He's got to be around. And well, I always tell depends, my kids, it depends how you're perceiving this Mashiach. Is, there's a lot that's, to unpack. That, that's I always saying. tell my kids, it Rip could Saldic be me. Says like this. Let's end with this. Rapsaldik says like this: the language, the word for hopelessness is yish, right? And Rapsaldik, this is like it's not the normal type of Torah I would share, but the 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 gematria, the numerical value of yish is three seventeen. 317. That means hopelessness. Everything is gone. Everything's falling apart. One more, one above transcending hopelessness is 318. Shin Yudches. Siach. May Shiach. Moshiach. From that place that transcends hopelessness, that's messianism. That's the beautiful. transcending. Looking at the abyss, looking at the hopelessness, looking at it's all over. It's never going to be fixed. It's never going to be solved. It's never going to change. Transcend that. Take that essence. And bring it into the rest of the world. That is Mashiach from the place of Siach. That's, that's the beautiful. scariest part to me. But that's beautiful because that means is, does it need to get worse before it gets better? 
This is getting way too I heavy. Know, I know, I know. It's let's, too heavy. Let's, let's go back to Twitter and, and fun. Let's <laughs> yeah, talk about... Uh, lay it on me. We wanted to, so we, we promised we were going to ask this question. Is uh, the Okud Bachar claim that you're in a fetal position every, every Moshe Shabbos? <laughs> <laughs> we actually... So we had him on recently. We asked, you know, what's him. his... Yeah, we asked what's his animus towards you. And he's like, we're friends. People, I love him. People keep asking me this and like, we're friends. His bits. He's the, you know, if you... People forget a lot of youngins on Twitter. His original bits, you know. I look at him. There's a show on Netflix that I love. I use their memes constantly by Tim Robinson because I think you should leave, which is this like absurdist weirdo humor. Uh, he's the I think you should leave of <laughs> of Twitter. I mean, he had this tweet a while ago. It was one line. So you don't get offended ago. by him at all. Offended? I'm in, I I I. I, I don't want to reveal it because I love the bit. <laughs> yeah, don't. I love the bit. So like, yeah, but I, I mamish love him. And that's why when I reply with hearts or whatever it is, like I for real, I for real, for real love him. It's not fast enough. He had this bit. I'll tell you the moment I fell in love with his whole shtick is he shared, he said, Jeb Bush is the kind of guy who, who doesn't get kugel at his own son's bar mitzvah. <laughs> <laughs> and he shared that, and it was the ability to superimpose a political figure into the small world, the insular world that we live in, but like masterfully and beautifully, and and share a personality trait through like the kind of guy who doesn't get kugel at his own <laughs> son's bar mitzvah is like, oh, I'm just like I love the way you see the world. Give me like, let me look through, let me look through through your eyes. Sure, and, I, by the way, I think that was the endearment of Trump to the populace. He has a little bit of that. When he classically oh. Jeb Bush, when he said he was, uh, we've lo- met all these people in shul. Yeah, we've met all these people in shul. He called him low energy Bush, Jeb Bush, and that was it. It was done. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah. He's, we, we've met. These he's that guy in shul. in shul, the low energy but guy. The ability to take national figures and see them, what would they be like within our local community? Right. A, it's hilarious. It's joyful. It's fun. It oh, it expands your world. It also like makes the larger world more familiar and sweet. So he was doing that for a long time, uh, and I think he's awesome. He's did the greatest. You, did you guys ever meet IRL? Yes. Sure, you sure, did. Sure, sure, oh, really? sure. Sure. A lot of my Twitter relationships are still. There's a real chavivas. I think it's a really, really special place. I know people hate it. I know people hate me. That, that that's all okay. But I. Uh, but do you hate, get that? Do, do you get hate? Like crazy. Really? No. Yeah. For sure. What, in the DMs? People don't like – I know why they hate me. I, I hate me too. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't, <laughs> you're not alone. Um, you're in good company. That's I great. think people assume that I'm more positive than I am. I try to re- – Twitter's limited, so I try to really share positivity because I think sometimes deeper breakdowns are deeper dives. You know, like it, it would be like trying to talk about Mashiach on the, on the Kiddush Club podcast. You know what I'm saying? You, you can't talk about everything everywhere. Right, right, it's, yeah. it's challenging. So I do err towards positivity on Twitter that I think people find frustrating or rose eyes. They obviously don't listen. Anybody who sees the totality of me in one place where I share information is going to have a funhouse view mirror of who I am. Right, they're going to label you and then you're yeah, done. Yeah, if you just listen to 1840, then you think I'm this dark, brooding, you know, like what is God, rationality, da-da-da. If you just look at me on Twitter, I look like an overly positive, rosy eyes, both sides. It's like everyone's right, kumbaya kind of Jew, um, and they're right, and they're both right. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, because I actually had that impression from the podcast that, what? I, you that you were a d- 
dark and brooding. Not dark and brooding. I am but, dark and brooding. Yeah, exactly. But and I'm also... So, like, what does a Shabbos look like in your In, in my your house? house? Yes. What does a standard Shabbos look like? Because I can tell you what it looks like by my house. I don't know if it's the same. I wonder. No, should we, I mean, thank God we've, we've, mastered, we've mastered Shabbos. Friday night, we almost always have this. I'm, I'm going to go into detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm asking. Um, Friday night, I, we always do the same thing. A grow and behold steak, a very nice bottle of wine. Nice. I treat myself. We don't go on vacation a lot. We don't eat out really that often, maybe twice a year, may, maybe three times a You're year. You're married for how many years now? Almost 10 years. Yeah, so that tracks. So <laughs> It's like the first 10, you're yeah, eating yeah. out a lot, and then it's like, I think we'll eat home. Yeah, we have grow and behold <laughs> steak, uh, rice, broccoli, it's always the same thing, and a very nice bottle of wine. We could finish that bottle of wine just between me and my wife. Love that. Friday night. We like really vibe, have wine. No hard, um, li- no hard liquors. Not on Friday night. Generally not. And then... Um, then my wife – usually then there's like a nap period on the long winter Friday night. It's a difference between winter and summer, yes. but on winter Friday night, then it's like so long. We're, we're napping somewhere. Like uh, like uh, couches, v'chule, v'chule, we tuck the kids in, nap. And then then I have my nightlife, which is that after my wife will go to sleep, we'll schmooze, we'll talk. Usually we'll have tea together after we wake up. Then after she goes to sleep, then I'm going to prepare the shear that I give the next morning. I give out a shear at the Hashkama Minion. Uh, I try to do it as often as I can. I'll prepare it on Friday night. Um, I give a shear. How are you? Uh, so right. So you're not writing notes, obviously. No. So you just it's all. I you got to remember it. All right. I, sure. Yeah. So you just have a bunch of svarim and you, yeah, yeah, you hope I come that you're going to pile of svarim. It's Jewish history in the parsha, so I connect an instance in Jewish history to questions and ideas that emerge from the parsha. Then the next morning, that sounds like a great podcast. So by wait, the way. wait, wait. I got. I have to understand Love a little bit better. As a podcast. You fall asleep after the meal. Yeah. Right. For f- like on the couch, hour, hour, hour whatever. You drink a bottle of wine. Right? Yeah, I get it. I yeah. get it. Then you get back up. Like what is that? Like eight nine o'clock. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, because because like one week, like recently, I I I try not to go to sleep before eleven, twelve. Like I don't want to be up all Friday night to getting up watching yeah. the clock. But I fell asleep on the couch and then went to my whole house was asleep by ten o'clock. I woke up, it was still dark. I'm like, all right, thank God, it's like five thirty in the morning. I look at the clock, it's like eleven fifty seven. I was, I, it was disaster. Like, if I don't think I could make like like people doing these bagels, I can't do it. I can't do twelve hours. It just doesn't go. No, so I'll go to sleep on a Friday. Night. I need less sleep on Shabbos. I don't know why. That's I'm just I'm so unplugged. I'm so plugged in the rest of the week. Um, my my screen time hours are insane the rest of the week. And Shabbos, I'm so like I just feel more alive. Really, I've, I love it. Wow. So then I'll wake I wake up Shabbos morning six fifteen. Wow. A.M. You, you mentioned the Hashkama. Deal with right? the kids, go to Hashkama, give the shear, come home. Then we do, well, sometimes there's a kiddish, but then I then I do Scotch kiddish, nice. dairy kiddish for all the haters out there. <laughs> for all the haters. Bring dairy, the hate mail. Dairy, spicy cheeses. Oh, spicy nice. Che- I, I don't spicy mind Spicy cheeses. We do um, cra- good crackers, all this stuff. Entomans. Entomans, whatever. And Hever and come over for that. Oh, you do it in your house? In my house. Oh, oh wow. wow. In my house. And then, you know, then you – then I do the daf. Then I, then I start reading – either I started reading on Friday night or I start reading that book that I got to finish. I'm in wow. the field position. <laughs> got to finish that book. And, and Shabbos Day also was really just a chalent. We're very focused. Not a thousand dishes. A good chalent. I like make it up. My wife spices it. Um, the other – not broccoli. Cauliflower, usually Shabbos Day. Um, it's great. I love – I'm crazy about Shabbos. 
Are you so you're not napping? You're basically reading. I do nap on Shabbos. Oh, you but do. Like when this time, like the summer, half, like forty minutes here, forty minutes there. Mm-hmm. My wife and I will take turns. We're with next door neighbors. We get along with really well. So if the kids are all there, oh, you easy, have a quick right. nap, right? And you literally finish a book every Shabbos, still? No, not literally. I mean, sometimes I depends on the length of the book. I'm always reading a new book every Shabbos. Every Shabbos. Every Shabbos. That's not made up. I don't always finish it. Some people, I get hate for that too. Like, real hate. <laughs> but it's such a beautiful thing. I hate you thing. for it. It's such a beautiful what thing. They, what could they possibly say? How dare you? No, people, you're making a mockery out of it. There's a very serious, I have DMs I could show you. You make a mockery out of it. There's a very serious book. You read it all over in one Shabbos or you're showing off. You're trying to show everybody how smart you are. And I'm like, this is a good thing. Let's associate Shabbos with it. It's so accessible. Make Shabbos accessible for everybody. Pick up something new. Read it. Learn something whatever it is I think it's a beautiful thing and I've leaned into it more and more and you lean into I mean not everybody really hates it but there are people who really find it obnoxious I don't know and uh, and that's okay that, that, that's how, do you, how do you deal with yeah, the- I love how you can just turn that off like okay whatever do you block people on Twitter I have blocked people. I almost always regret it. I always unblock everybody who's blocked on Aravium Kipper. No. I promise you. Really? Yeah. That's wild. Sacred uh, tradition. <laughs> That's wild. That is. I, I can't go into Yom Kippur with people having um, being angry at me. Well, they're, they're, they're not, their feelings are not changing just because you unblock them. <laughs> I know. But you but don't want to be angry I at people. I can't allow that. I, I re- usually what it is is people signal to one another. They deliberately unfollow me. And you know, you know the, the angry yes. unfollow. Yes. There's a couple of who like unfollow D Boom. And I usually could understand why they did it. It does hurt my feelings. I think anybody's like, ah, oh, like we had such a good thing going, and I, I let somebody down. You know, I feel like I wake up every morning like, who did I disappoint today? You know, like there, there's that feeling, and you have to be able to have a place in your life and in your heart that's not contingent on everybody's approval. That's a lifelong difficulty. Um, yeah, but you don't let any of this inhibit you whatsoever. It seems that inhibit me. Well, it's of human, it it's, it's, right? It's of course, human. It it, it, it's I try affection. to share things very carefully, very specifically. But there are people who very deliberately don't like me. They either deliberately unfollowed me, or you know, there are people who have called me out. And I, I, you know, it seems petty, or seems like, are you so desperate to pick up an extra one follower? I feel bad that I disappointed somebody. I feel bad that I, I, I hurt somebody. I really do. And uh, so, I. So, yeah. but what, so, so it sounds like there's a lot of seriousness even in your personal life. Like, what do you do to unwind? What do you do to chill? How do you chill? What does Prepares that look 1840 like? 1840 podcast. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, I... Or maybe you don't. It's no, fine if you no, don't. No, no, no. I chill. My, a, Sunday's emoji shop is trying to get in touch with me. <laughs> try, try, try to schedule something with me on emoji shop or a Sunday. I'll just like respond, you know, like lose my number. LOL. Yeah, yeah, tell my own <laughs> students. Like, don't bother. Unless it's a constant fuzzles. Are there lives at stake? Then find another time. Um, I'm protective over my time. Um, I If it doesn't work, I'm not going to do it. I I like to veg out. I veg out. I veg out. I love television. I love movies. I love television and movies. Veg out. Watch something. Be transported to that world. I love reading. Um, how do I unwind? I love learning. I really love – a lot of my work energizes me. I love writing. I find that – That's like, great. You very, love what you do. I, I do love what I do, but it could be depleting. But the nice thing is I do a lot of things, so there's always something that is – Keeps you excited. Yeah. What yeah. made you start the 1840 podcast? I thought that there was a real need for people, adults, 
who are in need of substantive discussions to help find meaning in their Jewish life. I think we don't realize how unique our generation is in that we're the first generation in all of Jewish history who in the Orthodox community were basically raised from the age of three to the age of 23 by Jewish institutions, and we imbibe all this energy and inspiration and excitement, and then we're like off on our own almost, and then we have to like rebuild it, and we spend the rest of our lives either trying to reclaim this like idealism that we tasted for a couple of years in yeshiva, seminary, wherever it is, and I wanted, I'm really motivated by this like long-term growth mentality of like, we could contend with these issues and with these ideas in in a long-term way and continue to build meaning in our life. We shouldn't spend the rest of our lives trying to get back to that year we spent in yeshiva. I find that... I, I, I think can, that's so true. You can love yeshiva. That's you so can, true. You could miss yeshiva. But we spend the whole life, if we were to draw it out as a chart, that like the pinnacle of our lives was shut a bed or whatever it was, then everything was downhill after that. It's well, like a heroin addict. That's yeah, exactly it's right. just a sad right? way. That's basically we're trying what to reclaim a high. Try to get to the high. Try to recreate something with our lives in front of us now. And that, to me, is the opportunity of 18. 1840 was also very messianic. People thought Mashiach was going to come that year. The Zoya writes Mashiach was supposed to come that year. Uh, Wait, which year? Did. 1840. 1840. 1840. The oh, that's the idea. Oh, that's millennia. the name. I got you. Yeah. The calendar. I, I don't know why. I never thought. I never six, even yeah, questioned that. I never questioned Sixth six century of the sixth millennia. Wow. And, um, and that's why we started it. And, and I it's take grown. It, it's, I mean, it's almost consistently a top ten podcast. Yeah. It's, it's really – I put a lot of energy into it and I take it really seriously. Really seriously. It's not shtick. It's not a bit. No, it's not a hobby. Definitely not. It's something I take extraordinarily seriously. It's hard because, you know, to build something, all these content sites, it's so easy to compete. I, I mean, I, I don't look at us as competitors. I don't look at anybody's competitors. But, like, you could just start your own thing. But, like, I, there's something I'm trying to accomplish and there's something I'm trying to bring into people's lives and that it's it's hard to build that into a, a stable um, almost organization. It's really challenging. Do you get feedback? My like, do email. you know that you're helping people? Like, you're, you're putting out hundreds, this is, hundreds years. of emails. I mean, I spend at least five hours a week in real life meeting people. Wow, from because of the podcast. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Give us, give us, like, give us a story. Give us something like an amazing story that it could be recent. It could be from. I don't know, an, 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 an amazing story. Um, I mean, a lot of the stories, unfortunately, are are heartbreaking. You see the scope of, regardless of where you were raised, regardless of what community you're affiliated with, people feel like they are in search of trying to reclaim their youth or rebuild uh, something new. I think the thing that I found was the sweetest was one of our former guests on 1840 named uh, Benji uh, Frisch. Uh, whose mother's a reform rabbi. He's a yeshiva guy. He invited me to his wedding. And I said, I'll come. The wedding was in Baltimore. I'll come. If you get me a ride, I'll be there. So he found an 1840 listener to, to, give, you a ride. to give me a ride. Wow. The 1840 listener on the way there is talking to me. Uh, he, he drove, I can't believe you agreed to that, by the way. Because you don't know where that's going to go. Baltimore. He drove from Baltimore to, pick pick you to up. New Jersey to pick me up and drive me both ways. He drove you back and then yes, drove back to ways. Baltimore. I can't go otherwise. I can't. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't able. So um, on yeah, the way there. You know he's going to inundate you with questions. I was a little nervous. He was the sweetest guy <laughs> in the world. And we start talking about dating and commitment which was actually our last series on 1840. Yes. And he's talking to me about, you know, Hashkafa and this and that. And then, like, he mentions in passing, like, you know, there's, like, a girl, like, lives in our house, who, like, comes to our house sometimes, like, 
And I'm like, why not her? And he's like, eh, he gave me like a hundred reasons why like it wouldn't work. And I'm like, I think you're crazy. I think she's the one. She's the first person you should date, and you should probably marry her. And he's like telling me his dad calls in the middle just like to like arrange something, and his dad's on the phone. I'm like, no, why, why are they dating already? They should they, they should be married. This works. It makes sense. He's afraid to say it. He's afraid if it goes wrong, but it works. It works. It works. Um, and by the end of the car ride, he's like, you know what? I'm gonna take I'm gonna her. Gonna do out. it. I'm gonna do wow. it. Wow. And he texts me. It was right before Yom Kippur. And he texts me. He says, I, I I took her out. And Kanai Nahara, he texted me Thanksgiving. They got engaged. Wow. In, wow, that's an excellent story. So that was Love really that. sweet. Like to be in. Amazing. Somebody's life through 1840. I mean, another 1840. This is special. I feel like I'm connected to people. I wish I had more capacity to reach out to. This is the work of 1840. It's not just people listening. It's like connecting to people in real life. That's so interesting. That's amazing. That's a great story. Amazing story. What does it? Where, where do you see yourself taking this? Like, where's where are you going to take 1840 from here? Is it going to be continue like this? You're still excited about it. That that's clear. But. You also seem like you're looking, you're working, you're planning something, and it's getting bigger and it's growing. Do I? No, I, I, I don't want. I don't need to take it anywhere. I, I, if you told me in ten years I am doing the same exact thing that I am doing now, um, I would be overjoyed. I, wow. I would love it. That's my amazing. issue. That's a tremendous bracha. I don't know if you realize. No, how my few issue people is can say that it's depleting. The Jewish community needs to figure out what to do with podcasts or with 1840 in particular meaning if you open up a i don't know like a fellowship program in a university or like a a base measures fellowship program so you it gets started with like this you get like a, a sock gelt you get a lot of money and you give it out and it affects you know like get a hundred people and a really connect and that's how we look at things it's a program it's in person AZ40 is going to fall apart because we don't have enough financial support, and it's too hard, and I can't do I can't do it all. Really? Yeah, it's going to fall apart. It's too depleting for me. I'm not going to be able to keep up what I'm doing now on the on the shaky ground that we're on. It's too depleting. It's 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 killing me literally. Like when you first re- the, a lot of the planning for this was actually because I was going through a lot of difficulty with 1840. If you've been keeping up with episodes, I had a breakdown on one of our episodes recently. I broke down crying in the middle of one of our episodes. A lot of this is because of the weight of what this is, the loneliness, the isolation, the people who come after me for it. Um, It's really, really isolating, difficult. I can't carry this on my own. Wow. Is it an emotional burden or are huge you- emotional burden? But but it's not that. I need people to see 1840, and a lot of people are starting to. And I'm not complaining, but it's more than a podcast. We need to start thinking of this as like an organ. You know who's done this really well? Rav Yy Jacobson, and I, I'm saying this uh, Leshevach. When he raises money, he he includes hours for counseling. When he recl- and he raises three million. I'm not Yy Jacobson, Khalila. Like I'm I'm nothing. I'm zero. I'm a nothing. But um, the way he's done that is what I would like to to create, to see that this is not like a weekly podcast. Everything that we're doing together, connecting to people, uh, reaching out, being able to respond to all of these emails. It's not just like, hey, great job, but like really reaching out and building time in my own life. I, I'm going to need community support for that. And thank God we get a lot of it. I'm, not, I'm so grateful for it. Um, but it's not. I'm not going to have the strength to continue this. So how do how do how do you how do your listeners help you? Like you know, they, you, I mean, you have a bunch of listeners right now who are saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" 1840 is not no, going anywhere. But how? What would you ask from? I don't from need the listeners. I, I need like a. I need a, a a foundation. I also need the Orthodox community to be 
the Orthodox establishment community does not appreciate what 1840 is. They only they only see the negative. They only see when it when it's not the way I would have given it over. And the people who come after me, um, and it's real people, hush of people. Um, but I, I it's 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 very painful that they do that. They call my employers. They get my employers involved, and um, that's 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 painful. Wow, that's painful. And you know, I feel like they 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 nitpick, they nitpick, and this is not how we would this is not how we would do things. And there's a in any time when it comes to like kanos, there's always a, a it's a misalignment. It's not proportionate with what if you're right and what if you're wrong. Let's say I accuse the Kiddush Club podcast of being you two are a bunch of kaifrim, know nothing. You got to get you off the air. You're so let's say I'm away. right. <laughs> Yeah, I called him not because last episode. Yeah. But let's Just say so I'm you know. right. So outside that I'm right, if I'm right, then good. I, I I got it. Let's say I'm wrong. Let's say I'm wrong, and I just try to ruin your reputation and 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 get you get you off. The the problem is, what if I'm right? Good. There's serious repercussions. I would lose my. Let's say I just got accused of that, and and the person who accused me is wrong. I'm not saying that it needs to be like uh, Adam Zoymimim, where now they become <laughs> kaifrim, where it bounces back the at them. But there needs to be some repercussions. When you go after somebody and accuse them of something very serious, and then you're wrong, and people don't back you up, but you did it very publicly, you can't just be like, oops. Oops, right, sorry. <laughs> right. And I get a lot of that. Oops, or like, oh, sorry, you know, like, oh, I'll go no try to feelings. get back to you. No, Yeah, no, water under the bridge. No, that that's not okay. And there's a misalignment in the in whether or not you're right or you're wrong. I, I have no problem. The stakes are very high if you're right. Then the whole thing is finished and you're done. But what if you're wrong? Have you risked any? There needs to be some measure of risk, risk on the other side when you falsely accuse somebody of doing something wrong. Otherwise, it's, everyone's going to run around pointing at everybody. Does this give you pause when you're doing an episode? Do you? Like, of course. So, so you are kind of like tailoring to just be careful. Like, no, not of the audience because the audience are the people that love you, but of the people that are listening that might be nitpicking or not, might be like just trying to Whenever, get you on something. Like, are you tempering it, saying I don't want to be called a, a kaifer by this I guy? I temper again. everything I say anywhere because I'm normal. I'm a human being. I could I I read the room. Like, I I came in here. I'm like I'm pretty sure I shouldn't drop f bombs. Like, <laughs> You just like you, you, you read any room. You read the room. I'm not a sociopath. When I write something, I read like, is this appropriate for where I am writing? When I write for Tablet Magazine, I don't refer to the Abishas. You know, to get you, know, like, you have to use the right words for the right audience yeah, but and that's, the right messages. But but when you have a podcast, you just you'll never know where that lands. You right? don't, but the, but if there were better, if there was better alignment for what if you're right and what if you're wrong, it can't be if you're right, the whole thing gets taken apart. And what if I'm wrong? Oops, right. that, that can't right. be. And no, that's not that. an 1840 that's problem. That's a that's Jewish a, community yeah. problem. But I think it's a it's a the world state, problem. Yeah, it's a world the problem. You see what's going on in the world. The- need to be. I'm, they don't have to be the same. It needs to be higher for when you're wrong. And that's part of the problem with social media. Yes. With social media... I'm just going to say that. When you call somebody out, what if you're right? Good. But what if you're wrong? Zero, right. No Zero. repercussions. It's like, oh, Well, oops. that's cancel culture, right? And that's, why, that's, that's part exactly of why I don't like culture. anonymous accounts. Because there's, there's nothing at stake. So if you're right, then great. And, and there are people who are anonymous and they find this offensive, but I, I happen to agree with this. You're not risking anything. And if you're not risking anything, then it's just like, oh, oops, okay. Right. Sorry about that. Right. I think that's the seriousness of Lush and Hara. 
Meaning, you know, you, we we have all these love in, and it's like it's like th- every word you speak of lashon hara is like thirty averis, and and I think it's not so much when you just say something disparaging about somebody else, like to them or to your friend. It's it's specific when you're hurting somebody's livelihood. Like it's been said that if you said something, if I called you ugly. Right, I don't it. have to ask you necessarily, Mechila, for calling you that because it'll make you feel worse. But when you impact someone's livelihood and you're 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 damaging them financially and their reputation, there's no way out. You have to ask that person for a wholehearted Mechila. Otherwise, the you're on the hook for that. Mm-hmm. Right. I want to be mindful of the time. Yeah. Uh, I feel bad. This was so. Yeah, we got. We we'll got do it another, again. We'll do it another no, no, time. No, you guys are pretty close this, this to where great. I work, so no, this really, was, this was very good, and we'd love to have you back. Uh, one thing I will say is, I, I think one thing that I think a lot of the Jewish world, the Orthodox Jewish world, forgets is that not everybody fits into the same box. And without an 1840, without your approach, as you said, there's going to be pe- way more people going off the derech, way more people who leave Judaism completely. That's been my that's the impression I get, is if you don't have those different approaches. We need multiple entryways, and I think we need to build capacity for you know what types of tools and ideas we use to, to keep people engaged. I, I don't like the binary. It's like a, we need well, customer there, retentions yeah. department. Yeah. And I think that yeah, that's— Yeah, I, I don't mean you know, yes, completely off the deck. I agree with that. The people just feel completely disconnected, and then everything becomes. You had that listener on your podcast who said that you know, and everything he was on like autopilot. Yeah, I think that's a lot of people. Yes, it's adulthood. It's post-institutional right. adulthood. And so when you when you click with someone or something, and then all of a sudden you're you come revived. alive. Yeah, you come alive again. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what's what people forget. And I think when people attack you, they forget that there are so. It's a many very people. small minority, but they just they they're relentless a lot, and they don't realize. You can't go after somebody and then say, oops. I love that. That's great. So we want to, we appreciate so much. (laughs) It just ends? This was amazing. We appreciate it. We know you pressed for time. We appreciate so much that you, we know it was not easy for you to to make it in. the weirdest conversation I've ever had. I just want you to know that. Like it started like, tell me about, tell me about your parents. What do you think about Mashiach? Let's get to Twitter. (laughs) Just like very like. But I love that's how we roll. Signature Yiddish Club, by the way. Signature, good, very good vibes. Not at all what I expected. We're gonna have you on again. We have to. It's it's almost like mid conversation. Like there's just no more time. Yes, but we're speaking to one of the busiest men we've ever had. Stop, stop. No, it's true. But we appreciate it. Thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. Uh, Please stay in touch. Thank you. We want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, you know you can follow us on Twitter at Kiddish Club Cast. You can follow us on Instagram at Kiddish Club Podcast. Shoot us an email with your thoughts, comments, and suggestions. We're at Hock, H-O-C-K, at KiddishClubPodcast.com. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple. Be sure to leave us a review on Spotify. Make it five stars. And we are out. You could keep this on. We're stopping right now my conversation about searching for essential meaning in life because there's a dog pick up the stupid barking dog. outside uh, at an in an office building. This is a serious establishment. This is this is the most serious podcast I've ever been to. We Let's appreciate see that. If you could talk about You're how you to found meaning in life, but there is going to be a dog barking outside. Let's see if you can stay focused. That's great. That's part of the challenge. We this is great. Are we talking about vaping? Are we talking about vaping? <laughs> we can.
I was going to ask. I was going to ask you if you guys were schmeffers when you were in yeshiva. And this episode is copyright Kiddish Club Media.